Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the November 7th, 2023 edition of Ask a Leader. Kentucky, Mississippi, Ohio, Virginia, with state elections and municipal elections in North Carolina and Pennsylvania, everybody knows get your plan to vote, get your loved ones, if they're in those places and you're elsewhere, get them to vote. So that's the, we'll be watching those results all day long today. It's quite important. We're going to play out this whole township track while I await Gabriel Zales. He is a UCI Criminology Law and Society PhD candidate, a professional musician and an advocate who has a lot to tell us bringing music to the carceral setting, that is especially the Donovan State Prison. We'll hear about the remarkable yields when a system chooses rehabilitation over punishment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. My guest for the full hour is going to be Gabe Rosales, an academic and professional musician and advocate whose expansive applied background offers a remarkable array of tools toward interventions in the carceral system. Gabe was one of the core founding members of UCI's prison pandemic and serves as a steering committee for the UCI's lifted program, the first UC-based bachelor's of arts program in a state prison. And both of those I've covered with Karamit Ryder and with the directors that produced and wrote a put together the prison pandemic play. Gabe completed his associate degree at Saddleback Community College, his bachelor's of arts in anthropology and criminology at UCI, smart recovery certified group facilitator at the Smart Recovery Training Center, and he's now working toward his PhD at the Department of Criminology, Law, and Society at UCI's School of Social Ecology. Gabe's built many things. I can't mention them all. And here's a few. And we're going to expand on those as he talks today. He's founded Vital Nonsense in 2009, stemming from the movement out of North Fork, California, Vipassana Meditation Center. In early 2018, Gabe joined the nonprofit Jail Guitar Doors as a facilitating lead artist helping rehabilitate inmates in Richard J. Donovan State Prison, that's in San Diego, through positive music expression. This led Gabe to further his activism in the criminal justice sphere at Donovan State Prison as he began collaborating with long-term residents on broader solutions to systemic issues. As he penned his own bio with so much he's already chalked up, he claims, and I'm quoting that he's only getting started, and that's where we'll take it up when he joins me in studio. Instead of in studio, we have Gabriel Zales on the phone line, but it's still interactive, more interactive than if we were in a 
do this through Zoom, I've got to tell you. So, Gabe, I gave a kind of a short thumbnail of your background. Then I was going to lead in here, and I'm going to say Gabe joins us somewhere on the campus, I think, at UCI. Gabe, your background, it's a, you're a bit of a renaissance guy going into some mm-hmm. particular interventions in the carceral system. I offered the formal education version, also including some of the um, just fleeting reference to the vital nonsense and the... Richard J. Donovan at work, but offer a thumbnail, Gabe, of the informal parts for our listeners' benefit. And I want to steer folks, go to GabeRosales.com, go to that website and hang out there because it's extensive good storytelling and that will flesh it all out. But we only have time for Gabe to give a quick thumbnail. And I do this as a manual in deference to someone with a background like with Gabe's that there are certain parts that people from the outside don't quite know how to refer to about people who've been inside. So thumbnail the informal ad, please, Gabe Rosales. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, um, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, I mean, as an as a artist, like you mentioned, I was planning on doing art in, in high school and being a professional artist, whatever that means, you know, going to art school in Laguna Beach. And then I got a producer that was, because I was playing music consistently through high school in a bunch of different bands. And um, and so that, I mean, like, basically I went on tour right out of high school for about a year after I graduated and was touring internationally, first nationally, then internationally by my early 20s. But, um, you know, I grew up in a kind of tumultuous environment. Parents split up when I was very young. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic household. And I, I kind of, uh, my, my mom actually, she kicked me out of the house when I was like 14 years old. She just told me I couldn't stay there anymore. We were bump, bumping heads and stuff. And so then I moved with my dad, who was, uh, you know, the alcoholic. And I kind of figured if you can't beat him, join him. And so I started developing my own issues and, um, you know, had all these other things that were, that were um, you know, abandonment, uh, you know, and then also just kind of living with my dad's alcoholism throughout my entire childhood. It's my worst memories, you know. And I think that's kind of a typical thing. I mean, at least from working in prison, there's a that, that's a kind of consistent theme of alcohol and drug use with most of the guys in my classes and stuff. And so, you know, by the time I, you know, was the early 20s, I, I was pretty deep into my, you know, alcohol and and then harder drugs, and that came about. And then I, you know, I got a DUI, and then I ended up getting a, a case where it was what they call like a wobbler in California, aggravated assault, a deadly weapon, and a battery charge, and. And so I had to, you know, that was my first actual introduction to the criminal justice system, aside from getting a DUI, you know, and stuff like that. I wasn't really taking anything seriously. And to be honest, I wasn't, you know, I didn't like myself very much. And so, like, my own health didn't make a difference. But when I caught this case and I was inside, I just, uh, you know, the the wobbler means you can either get a felony or a misdemeanor, depending on your prior uh, criminal background. And so I had a private representation, private counsel. And I got my sentence reduced from years to months in county jail. And then um, it was a pretty crazy time in uh, county jail in Orange County as well because there was, uh, you know, gang riots happening. And so I got involved with those politics as well. And that was like my first kind of introduction into the into the system. And I was just, you know, I mean, I had my own ignorant ideas about what the criminal justice system was like and what being inside was like. And, and then I saw it for, you know, money-making you know, that there was a businesses going on, commissary, uh, phone calls, everything was cost money. And in my own naive mind, I was thinking, hey, this stuff is uh, all this money that they're generating from the carceral systems. It's going to some kind of coffer for the public, right? Like, you know, kids after school programs or, you know, substance abuse treatment you know, programs. And uh, but that wasn't the case. You know, a couple of private families 
private corporations own everything. And so that's when I was like, okay, well, this is a business. And so how does the business model work? Well, they need to keep, need to make sure that there's always uh, clientele. They got to make sure that there was always, uh, you know, money coming in. And how do they do that? Well, push for legislation to get people incarcerated or, um, you know, tough on crime policy, stuff like that, and uh, make sure beds are filled. So that's kind of, uh, I guess, the long and short of it. So, yeah, and I was working on music all through, like, my incarceration. I was writing sheet music. I was planning on releasing a show up once I was released. Listening to guys sing inside, so I got some, you know, guys that were singing, um, that I heard singing in jail to sing on my album. And that was kind of like the first, you know, the combination of music and, and um, you know, I guess penal connection that I, that I made in like 2009-ish when I recorded my album and had guys from inside record me. Gabe, that is such a terrific thumbnail. I appreciate that, and I really do want people to go to hang out at gabrielzales.com so they can hear the whole. It's also it's a flair for storytelling, which I you know, I'm sure you notice that around campus. That there's uh, people need to up their storytelling game. But this is this has been really helpful. So now it allows us to pick up where you then you st- joined up with Caramet Ryder with Prison Pandemic and merging what you were you were working have been working with jail guitar doors um yes so let's talk about that and what um they knew what they were doing they started around 2010 and you started around 2018 do i understand like before the pandemic yes that's correct that's how with jail guitar doors there and that was a uh, i mean jail guitar doors and, and arts and corrections in general has been like um it's been life-changing for me 100 percent. you know mm. i was um it, you know, I did my undergrad at UCI, and I, I was already kind of in that sphere of community service. You know, I was working with a hip hop or um, multiple hip hop organizations. You know, uh, speaking to at risk youth, uh, going into group homes, foster youth, and stuff like that, and and, uh, and then you know just doing events around the community, like in Long Beach and Orange County, Santa Ana también, and uh, places where we could just do uh, um, help help the community out, right? And uh, so I was kind of going in that, that was my trajectory. And so when I was starting my educational journey, anthropology was like what I was interested in. You know, I wanted to study our species. Uh, human beings were very interesting to me. And, um, you know, I wanted to figure out what, how to help, you know, and create less harm. And that was kind of the impetus consistently through this whole process. And so, uh, but then, you know, criminology was something that I was already involved with. I was already, you know, had my own experience. And then, I was also, uh, you know, working with these different organizations, working with uh, at risk youth. So criminology was like a perfect fit; it made more sense. And so, and I knew UCI had, um, you know, an amazing criminology program. So that's where you know I transferred over. And um, it's crazy, you know, it's one of those bittersweet things too. Uh, you know, my dad, uh, I was trying to help him get sober, find his sobriety. Throughout, you know, my after once I was sober, and uh, he actually passed away in 2015, and so mm-hmm. I received my acceptance letter to UC Irvine the day of his funeral, so it was one of those bittersweet things, you oh, know. Oh, my word. Uh, oh. Yeah, it was heavy. It was really tough. I mean, I was like, you know, waking up in the morning knowing I had to speak at my dad's funeral that I had arranged completely, and then um, and then getting a letter in the mail saying, you know, you've, you've been accepted to UC Irvine, and, uh, you know, so it's just these... He's, uh, you know, taking the good with the bad and, and just being alive and appreciative and, and, and having humility and gratefulness that, uh, you know, get to experience all this, the good and the bad, right? So, so um, yes. And so we've got the chow, that we've got the, there's also a jail guitar door program at the Chowchilla and the Chino facilities. I don't know if there's others, and I, I'm based on some of those lovely links that you're providing me they're speaking about there maybe about 120 prisons around the country that have the jail guitar doors is that giving us the kind of spread of the program we're going to talk about today 
Yes, yes. They're, they're, we're national. Uh, they're, the program's all over the place. I mean, it started in the U.K., I believe, uh, with uh, Billy Bragg. And that's what and wow. he was uh, doing that. He's a um, you know, famous musician. And, and yep. uh, Wayne Kramer from MC5, he's like, considered the godfather of punk music in the United States, was part of yeah, um, this band called MC5, Motor City uh, 5, for, uh, for, from Detroit, right? And that was in 68. And so The Clash, um, I don't know if you're familiar with The Clash, but you know, of course. another famous band right there. They, there was a song called Jail Guitar Doors. And Jail Guitar, in the lyrics, they talk about Wayne. They talk about his case. He caught a federal case. And in the, you know, like after the 68 was when MC5 was around. So there was a song called Joe Guitardos and, and they were talking about Wayne. And so that's where uh, that the name Joe Guitardos came from. is based off of this class song where Wayne Kramer created this program. Well, I mean, uh, what Billy Bragg did and then, and then Wayne Kramer was like, yeah, the song's about me. Because Billy Bragg was like, yeah, hey, you know Joe Guitardos? And, and Billy Bragg is all about, he knows how to turn rage into punk, into cool, into productive uh, measure. So that's a great sake. So let's have you tell us about the experience inside, how you recruit these budding poets and performers. And as I looked at some of those links that you were kind enough to, to share with me is the people that haven't been in yet, the, the, the ones that are volunteering in your similar capacity, they're, they're not sure how it's going to look inside. So talk about what it's as the volunteers enter into a carceral setting that just what's physically what it's like and how you bring in each of these inmates to be participating in this. There's so many parts to this. Yeah. So there's, um, you know, in California, we had Prop 57 that was voted in uh, 2016, I believe, where uh, people inside were able to gain credits or earn credits, rehabilitative credits, uh, achievement credits, which are called RACs, or milestone credits, which are educational milestones, right, uh, certificates, AA degrees, BA, stuff like that. And um, so Joe Guitardos is a RAC accredited program, so people can sign up for it. And so, you know, yeah, I was what it was. Uh, I you know did my undergrad at UCI and then I applied to you know I was trying to figure out this marriage between music and you know my experience and then also having a degree in criminology and so when I sent my application to Joe Guitardors they said basically they're like this is you're perfect come up and they get, put a W two from him and they ask you when did you start at R J Donovan to start in this yard that they just opened up so um, within like a month or two of me even like reaching out to them I was able to get. And at Donovan, of course, you know, I had to petition the warden because I didn't pass my background check and any of that stuff, which is typical um, for anybody that's got any kind of record. Um, so, you know, we started on one yard, Echo Facility, and then we expanded to a different yard um, at the same facility at R.J. Donovan. And people can sign up. They fill out these forms. And basically, it's but it's always good to just kind of give people the heads up so they know what the program's about because a lot of times I think it's just guitar playing and guitar instruction, and I've been, you know, teaching music for 20 years. But it's not that at all. It's, it's songwriting, it's therapy, it's a collaboration, that there's so many different components to it. So, um, and a lot of times people don't necessarily know, and but they, they learn and they get a lot out of it. I've seen people's lives change, like, literally in front of me. So, so that's another reason why I, I ended up trying to get in this PhD program, because I was in law school when I started right. at, uh, at R.J. Donovan. I, re, I um, quit law school and then applied to the PhD program, and that's how I got in. So someone in the prison system is explaining to the prospective participants how this works? I mean, how does, I just want to make sure, because, you know, who's bringing everybody along with you? Well, um, I, Wayne Kramer initially did a kind of opening on one of the yards to let them know that we were going to be there. He's there, there physically a, there, or he's beaming in from some sort of location. 
Oh, he showed up. They, okay. they, they did a whole concert on the yard. Because um, uh-huh. we also, did, like, Jail Guitar donated a bunch of music instruments, like electric guitars, electric basses, drums, a PA system, because they wanted the uh, you know the, them to have music on this. It was a you know, specific kind of yard, the newest yard in California, a non-designated programming facility. And um, and so they wanted to give them the opportunity of music because everybody should have that, you know, especially because if you're trying to rehabilitate, there's so many different options you can have through music. And uh, and so, yeah, they did an initial concert on the yard, so everybody kind of knew about it. And then we started the programs, and so I think through word of mouth, too, people started hearing about what we were doing, and then people started signing up. We've had so many different students. And then also from the other yards, you know, higher security yards, there's, you know, the prison yard has to go into these security levels, the level one, two, three, four, and then sometimes five. And so we're on a, you know, higher level security, level three, and then some of our students from level threes dropped down to level twos because they had such good behavior, and then we had them again on the level two yards and stuff like that. So, they, yeah, it's just through word of mouth, people knew about it. And I think the program's been around for long enough that I think, uh, I think okay. it's the words out, people know what we do for generally speaking. Well, Gabe, I just got to mention this is the first time I've really made a connection with Prop 57. So you could say this is the fine print of Prop 57. There are these dividends giving these rehabilitative options that can redirect a whole lot of different careers and paths and, and that kind of a thing. So that's I'm so glad you brought that up. So you, in preparation for this interview, told me that the talent, is ready to go they've got they've got lyrics in their heads they've got notes in their heads between their ears talk about what it's like you're in the the setting with them and they're beginning to create just lead us through what's going on there so the program generally what we have is it's a 10-week program we, everybody and probably about three quarters of the class get guitars so we do a kind of the first week or two we do a basic instruction of just how to play a few chords right because you can be i mean it, you can write an amazing song with just two chords. You don't need to know a bunch of different things. You don't have to be a virtuoso or any of that stuff. So we give them the basics on how to play, and then they can take the guitars back to themselves, too. That's another kind of thing that uh, you know, I don't know if people know about. No. It's not just during class. They're allowed to take the guitars back to themselves and practice, um, which is huge because then they can come back, they get interested, um, or, or they decide it's not for them. They'd rather write, you know. But everybody gets journals in the class, and we go sequentially, we chronologically, we go through childhood, family dynamics, um, anger and resentment, responsibility, accountability, amends and restoration. All these different topics are a different topic of the week, and people write, and we, we spend about 10 to 15 minutes off the top of the head, just write in their journals about this specific topic, and then you hear about what everybody wrote, what you know, how they related to anger and, and resentment, or how they you know related to being responsible or taking accountability or any of these things, and then we take um, a, like maybe one or two lines from everybody's journal writings. We put them up on a wall, and then we start constructing a song, like out of it. You know, what looks like a chorus, what looks like a verse, what, do these work together? Oh, and yeah. it's this whole workshop. And the thing is, is that, um, yes, there are amazingly talented people that have just this capacity to come up with lyrics, very, and, you know, brilliant, brilliant introspective lyrics very quickly. The, the people that have amazing voices. Um, I've worked with probably the best rappers I think I've ever worked with on, um, on some of these yards that could just, you know, come up with very complex rhymes and concepts within minutes and be able to perform them flawlessly the first time, which is just like, I mean, you don't see that a lot, you know, unless you're a professional musician, like that's what people get paid to do. And this is just inside our prisons. Right. But, you know, another aspect to it as well is that people that don't 
even think they have any musical ability. And we, at the very beginning of the classes of the 10 weeks, we always ask people what their kind of history is with music. A lot of people are just like, I like music, but I've never tried singing before. I've never tried songwriting. I don't even know if I can do it. And some of these guys end up being like the best songwriters, the best singers. Like, you know, we kind of bring people out of their shells and, and give them a chance to, to um, even if they, they've never sang before in their lives, they just try to like say stuff out loud and you can find a note. I mean, we can find music everywhere we everywhere we look. There's music, and so we kind of coax that out of them, and then they realize that they are musicians, that they are capable of uh, being creative and dig- digging into these complex feelings um, creatively and uh, non-confrontationally. Like Wayne Kramer says, you know, we're, there's not because obviously the prison environments. Uh, you you kind of have to have this this mask on a lot of the times. One of the topics we bring up in our class is this mask that you have either for the COs or for the people around you. And uh, so it's it's nice to be able to let that down and just kind of like be yourself, talk about your feelings in a safe place where you're not going to be made fun of. You can't, you don't have to fear retaliation. We don't have any, obviously like we're in prison. I, I don't judge anybody that's in there because they're already serving their time. Right. I'm not in there to make them feel bad about themselves. I want them to understand why they feel the way they are or the way, you know, the way they, the way they feel. Um, and then maybe find a deeper understanding of, of themselves so that they can heal because, uh, you know, I mean, incarceration itself is traumatic regardless of what happened in the past, you know. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest for the full hour is Gabe Rosales, a professional musician, teacher, sober advocate, guest lecturer, and doctoral student in the Criminology, Law, and Society Department at UCI School of Social Ecology. And I'm I'm not going to play any of the links uh, there's some logistical things with YouTube, but there's also um, I I think it's better if people pursue them and look at them and you can get a better context of how there's different ways they're interacting with, with each other. The the sound quality is a little bit different. It, it wouldn't come through very well in a broadcast. And I, I'm not apologizing about the sound quality, but it's just it's better to view how various detainees are interacting with each other, stepping up, and how they kind of light up and that, that whole process. So I want people to experience that from those YouTube clips that are varying between, you know, five minutes to 17 minutes and see how that works. And from those, there, there are some amazing quotes. They're talking about, quote, sharing their ability and memorializing their experience in writing, writing mm. songs and healing each other. Uh, that spreads throughout the detention area. So this is, uh, you, you talked about there's all the, 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 the kind of gear that they're working with besides their notebook pads for the, the actual lyrics, but the guitars, the drums, the mics, and, all, and the PA system, all that kind of a thing. So when we spoke on background, also you talked a bit about the demographics that it's like, you said like up to like 90%. You can imagine of those incarcerated probably had been abused in their earlier lives. Yeah. I mean, there's a, um, the majority of people that I work with, you know, and that's one of the things I was mentioning about just like with like my history too, as soon as I, you know, cause when we're at the very beginning of classes when we do our, um, introductions, I kind of tell them, you know, how I grew up and I mean, you, just the people look on people's faces. I mean, and we go around and, and it kind of lets everybody's guard down because they're like, okay, it's okay to talk about this. You know, they say, you know, they were either sexually abused, they were abused by their, their parents, uh, they grew up in alcoholic households, they were in fear of their safety, um, you know what I mean? Or they didn't have parents that were in foster care and they were abused there, or, you know, there's just so many different levels. Um, 
And that, yeah, working inside is one of the things that really showed me that just like people are so detached from the way other people in the community and in society live. And it's really sad. There's such a disconnect because I think the, you know, it's like, um, I think people would have more compassion if they understood where people, what kids it has to deal with. Um, having no positive influences, like if every male in your in your life is not even, you know, not a father figure, whether they're selling drugs or whether they're just kind of pushing you to do something that you don't want to do or that you think you're supposed to do, you have no money, you know, the, the only people that are that are taking care of business, so to speak, or like being able to pay rent and eat food are people that sell drugs or commit crimes, you know, it's like the, this is the kind of world that, that um, a lot of these guys are coming from, and so uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's eye-opening and it's, it's sad, and it's um you know you see people that you just figure they never they never had a chance like they were born and they didn't have a chance and now they're in the situation a lot of the times they you know made a horrible mistake and you know now they're going to be paid for it for the rest of their lives um, and uh, you know I see the humanity in them so it's it's kind of a different thing you know and I'm guessing I'm I'm not sure if this is a very ab- sort of analogy to Gabe is perhaps they've been. They've been in this free fall, the, the, the safety net in terms of social support and, uh, you know, healthy kinds of, of influences and all that. So they, and so this here comes a music inter- and intervention really is the all encompassing word for this program is that this is finally the net, the safety net that's finally catching the fall. Mm. Yes. I mean, uh, um, you know, it's, it's frustrating that it had to happen in prison, right? But it's, you know, to me, it's like one of those things that's better late than never. Not only do they, but the, to me, it's the healing that happens. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've had amazing stories, too. I mean, there's guys that, you know, that I had that, that would never forgive themselves for the crimes they committed. Um, but they, they, they go back, when we talk about parents, they talk about, you know, I, I'm never going to forgive my dad ever, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, and then, you know, throughout the class, they end up realizing, you know, their parents are just, uh, were just people, too. But rather than hold on to that anger and resentment, just like, you know, the topic of the class or a song, um, they finally let it go. And once they let that go, they finally forgive themselves. And in doing that, they actually have this more liberating experience where um, they they aren't filled with hate anymore. They uh, they conduct themselves differently. They're at peace with certain things. And of course, my you know the program for me it's n- it's not to pacify people. It's not to no. it's not just it's just about wellness and being comfortable in prison. It's really to uh, stop you know or, or at least minimize the harm that people are causing themselves, their communities in prison too. Like there's still a community in prison, right? It's like you, you people forget that once they're behind the walls that there there's still relationships and and it's still affecting everything that's happening out. Uh, out here, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a big it's a big shift and a big transformation that I see. So how it works? You've talked a little bit about it. So you enter Donovan Prison. I mean, just talk about spatially. You know how how it's sort of organized in those settings, and for where so, the, I mean, where the volunteers are. Yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh, um, I mean, I imagine every institution I, I trained at CRC, which is a California Rehabilitation Center. That's in Norco. So every institution is like, you know, so completely different depending on, I mean, honestly, like what year it was built. Because uh, you got to remember that these prisons, you know, during the, this big prison boom in California, the, it was during the, the time when rehabilitation was just not even on the table. You know, it was retributive. Um, you know, you want to make people suffer for their crimes because, the, you know, the, idea, well, the ideology is, is that the more you suffer, the more likely you are to not commit a crime again. So, uh, but, you know, 
research has shown that's not true at all. You know, you don't make you don't help somebody. You don't help a dog be kind by kicking it some more. You know, so like uh, every institution is completely different, okay. and they're not necessarily built the same. This specifically Echo Yard was built with the rehabilitative programming in mind, so there's lots of space for classrooms. So I have to, when I show up, if there's a first, there's a one gate you got to go through just to get onto the grounds, right? And then Echo Facility is actually completely separated from the rest of the prison. It's kind of its own little entity, little pilot uh, satellite outside of the, 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 the main prison. And so then um, I have to go get my brown card because there's a, you know, you have to have this, uh, I have a, a card that allows me clearance. I don't have to be, um, I don't have to get a pass every single time I have a card that allows me to come in and out. And, uh, and so I go to, gotta go get that. And then I go to the, uh, the first, you know, stop through the COs. They check my, all my equipment that I'm bringing in. I, you know, look at my bag, look at my guitars. Um, if I have, you know, the inventory list, they look at the inventory to make sure I have everything that I say that I have. And then that's through one door and then through a gate. And then there's like this kind of holding cage gate that you sit in for a while. And there's a guy up in the tower. He looks down. And as soon as you're inside that little cage, then he opens up the other door so you can get out of the cage. And then you walk to the next correctional officer uh, uh, station, which is another door. You walk through that and you're in a room. And then he has to open another door. You walk through that. You show your ID again. Again, you're in this little kind of pod. Um, where you're just in this room by yourself with the CO, he's behind glass, and you show him your ID, and then he finally opens the door to the yard. So you got to go through like four or five doors just to get to the yard, you know. And you're surrounded by these super tall walls, right, with uh, barbed wire everywhere, and there's surveillance and um, electric fences to in between those. And so, and then once you get on the yard, you know, I mean, Echo Yard, it's a level two, so it's you know, it's it's really mellow. There's never been a riot there, and then. You know, I just basically, I know everybody there, too, so I mean, I'm always really personable and everybody's really kind and friendly there. And to be honest, you know, I mean, everybody inside, I mean, if you show up and you're coming from the outside and you're there to help them in any way, shape, or form, like, they're so appreciative, you know, because the whole world has forgot about them, you know, and in their mind, it's just like they, you know, and, and then, especially with legislation changing and people are getting released, that's a, it's a horrible thing for us to forget about them and then throw them back into the in the society and be like, now, now function, now act like people care, now act like you've been invested in, now act like, uh, you know, be a productive member of society. And um, it, it's just, yeah, it's, a, it's unfair in a lot of different ways. And like um, one person mentions in these interv- these uh, co- interviews on the, the, the clips that you shared is 95% of the detainees are going to be next to you in a movie theater i say or at the I, i've met at the hardware store just it's just a parent or they're going to be a neighbor somewhere in the community so uh, expect that what is happening inside is if there's no muscles tone for life outside then you're there's a whole setup for failure so that's let's t- so that's uh, really really important we'll talk about that kind of the ways in which those yields those those results are showing up but so it matters then the kind of facility when when it was constructed so that you've got then eventually a space that doesn't have maybe all the razor wire inside you've got in one of those views it looked like a kind of like a high school gym where there there's the so those circular tables with those fixed seats and and then there's space for people to like there's a whole bank of guitar players and some drummers and some and it's mic'd up, so it's that's the setting that it matters what you have to work with. 
Yes, 100%. And most uh, most prisons, I mean, I, I think they have gyms, and a lot of times they'd use the gyms to house people, too. That was like the peak 2006, 2007 in California prisons when we were at 200% capacity, but we've significantly lowered it. Still not enough, but, um, you know, that we're down to like, I think, 110 maybe, or maybe 98% capacity um, of all California prisons. And uh, But, yes, there's a gym there. People, uh, there's that access for the, that kind of space. And then before we actually got a designated space for our class, too, like we kind of would have to just walk around the yard to find an empty room. Like we were using visitation for a while where people go visit their families, so we'd have to get keys for that. Um, we'd use a chapel once in a while. We'd uh, use empty classrooms if there was extra empty rooms open. So we kind of had to, like, search around. The other yard where I teach on, the little higher level yard, the level three, there isn't room for anything. They barely have any programs at all, and there's just one big gym area. And so we, it's for mental health, and so we get to use that. We've consistently used that for the past uh, five years. But, um, yeah, it really depends on the, the facility, you know, depends on what programs they have going on. Um, you, people, you, you know, program providers have to fight for space, including the education, too. Like people that are getting their GEDs versus their AAs versus, you know, the BAs, like everybody's looking for space to, to, to hold their classes, you know, and that's also a big dilemma, you know. So, for those of you who just joined us, my guest is Gabe Rosales, professional musician, teacher, sober advocate, guest lecturer, and doctoral student at the Criminology, Law, and Society Department at UCI's School of Social Ecology. So, I think this is this is the moment I really want to drill down into as many vivid kinds of findings and results. This is where I, I wanted to line up the interview with you after I talked with Kermit about a month and a half ago. Mm. Uh, and, and, and she was saying, and we're doing these music programs. And I said, well, what are, the, what are they finding out? How is it, you know, what's the results of all this? And so, I mean, one refrain was, it just changes the whole politics inside, just this creative process. So just go for it, Gabe. Tell us what happens when this creative intervention is taking hold with this, you called it this 10-week program forward. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, you get, there's, each art program kind of has its own little, you know, um, I guess like methods that, that, that bring out other characteristics in, in people, but specifically with Jill Gattardo's, I feel like it's got one of the best, I don't know, there's just, it's all encompassing because people get these skill sets of, you know, I mean, practicing a guitar is not the easiest thing in the world, so getting patience with yourself, learning how to, to keep working at something and practice something, you know, that's one thing, right? But then also the collaboration that comes in when we're working on a song together, and people's faces light up, when, when, when people read each other's, you know, when we're reading our journal writings out loud, Everybody realizes that they have family that they're missing, um, you know, for the most part, right? I mean, some people, unfortunately, don't have families, but they have, you know, loved ones, somebody that they're, they're thinking about or that they've had in their life. They worry about their kids or, you know, they miss their parents or whatever it is. You know, th there's so many similarities. And so when people read out their journal writings out loud, they, they find this commonality that they wouldn't have because people just don't talk about this. You know, you don't just talk about the stuff in prison necessarily um, with everybody. And so in a, in a place where you're in a safe place with strangers, people find this commonality and see a common humanity in each other. And in the prison environment, especially with like typical what I call like traditional politics where they're where people are racially segregated, right? Only Mexicans or Northern Mexicans talk to Northern Mexicans, Southern Mexicans talk to Southern Mexicans, Blacks talk to Blacks, all that stuff. Um, you have this this kind of breaking down of walls where you know everybody realizes that they're you know they're all kind of fighting the same battles. They're all they're all kind of dealing with the same stuff. 
Um, everybody is, you know, traumatized. Everybody has pain, um, and they see the humanity in each other, and that translates to the yard. Of course, that's not the way society works necessarily, um, like just the, the racial segregation. But, I mean, it does in some ways. You know, in some aspects, you, that's, that's arguable. Um, so you, people see it in the most intense situations in the prison environment, people are seeing humanity in each other, and they're having patience with each other, and they're collaborating, creating something beautiful together. That's just one aspect of it, right, is this mm-hmm. collaboration and, and accepting of, of, of each other. And then when we actually play the songs, there's this thing that I've been studying in musicology called uh, self-other blurring. So, you know, evolutionary theorists have been trying to figure out what purpose music has served, right, through our human species throughout tens of thousands of years. Every culture, every place on the planet that has human beings have some kind of music that they, that they engage with. So what is the point of this? What, what does music do for people? So when you sit there, and this is what some of the studies that they found, when you play music together and you're synchronized in a rhythm, whether you're singing a chorus together, whether you're synchronized in guitar playing, whether a drummer's playing along with a bass player, whatever it is, and you're synchronized as a band, there's this thing called self-other blurring, where you stop looking at each other as separate. Start considering them as another extension of yourself, and you're part of something bigger, right? Um, I'm not necessarily like a, a religious person necessarily, but to me that's like beyond finding humanity in everybody it's it's this connection that you you realize at a, at a fundamental level that we are all connected like you know uh astrophysicist neil degrasse tyson says um, we are connected to each other human beings biologically we're connected to the earth chemically and we're connected to the universe atomically right and when you kind of get into this synchronized music and this, this pattern you almost can feel that uh, it sounds kind of, I don't know, hokey, I guess, in some ways. but It doesn't, um, Gabe. No, I don't. Okay. Not a lick. No. It okay, sounds... good. Yeah, because it's like a, um, it, I've seen it and, and it, and it works. And I've been playing music professionally for the past 30 years, right? So I, I know that feeling, those 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 moments of just, um, you know, complete connection and, and where you're, you're, you feel one with the band that you're playing with or the people that you're playing with. And it just, it's this feeling of, um, it's bliss, you know, it's, it's liberating. And and so, for one thing, it, it helps people forget that they're in prison, which is helpful, you know. Uh, and it, but it also helps them understand themselves better, and it helps them dig into emotions that they might have not looked into previously. I think Blaine, and, uh, Blaine Kramer yeah, stares right into that video, and he says uh, he's talking about what happens that on that fundamental level of creating that. And he says the only the only thing. That the, on the fundamental level, the only way they've seen change is art or organized sports. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, it's funny. He was talking about yeah, CEO said that like he, the only time he's ever seen something like that. It's true, and um, you know, it, it's one of those things too where it, it's so through the arts programs like you know playwrights. There's a fantastic organization called uh, Playwrights Project where they write plays and they you know it's all theatrical and stuff like that. It, there's a similar thing that happens when you're doing music and, and writing. It's like you take on a new identity, and it's all about identities, and that's kind of like where my research is, the symbolic interaction um, theories that, that where these interactions that you have mean things, and you start defining yourself in a different way, which in turn you start looking at your past, and you look at your past, and you redefine or you think of yourself previously in a different way so you can take on a new identity. Um, not meaning, I mean, you know, you don't, People don't have to change everything about themselves, but the idea is is that you don't have to be a person that creates harm. You don't have to be a uh, uh, you know hurt yourself. You can be productive. You can help people. You can you know bring that 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 comfort that you can bring a, a healing to somebody else. And so when you have that possibility, 
when you have that option to change your identity through music or through theater or whatever it is, and you stop looking at yourself or identifying yourself as just a criminal or just that one, you know, event that happened to you that, that defined, you know, the next whatever, how many, how much, how many, much time you have to spend in prison, you are what much more than that. And that's one of the things too, like, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, I'm a sober advocate and, uh, but that's one of the things I have problems with the, um, with the sober community too. Like, are we ever recovered? You know, like, uh, are, are we always going to be addicts? And it's like, yeah, I mean, some aspects I can kind of understand, but at the same time, I'm much more than that. I'm not just an alcoholic. I'm not just an addict, right? I'm, I haven't used any substances in 16 years. Same thing with some of these guys. Um, they are different people now. They literally have different cells in their bodies. They think differently. They behave differently. They have, uh, and, and the arts helps them use, you know, uh, find this path to become different people. And, uh, and so I've seen it. I've seen it change people. So we're talking, we're using the, the male pronoun here. I just want to know, is this going to be seeing the women's detention center sometime soon? Because I, I really uh, can't imagine that it can only be a men's program. No, it isn't. The thing is, is we just, uh, um, with Joe Guitardos, especially after COVID and stuff like that, and like there's been this kind of wavering support for arts in general mm-hmm. uh, in California. Like there's always been support for it, but just, I mean, some of these things need to get funded and not everybody can do it voluntarily. Right. Um, especially cause prisons, they put them in such far off places. It's like, it's really a hard, it's hard to get to some, many prisons are hard to get to. They're two and a half hours away in the middle of the desert on that mountain someplace. Um, but Linwood so, is right in LA though, right? Yeah. Well, CIW, the, the women's Institute, which is like, you know, the CIM, which is, uh, um, there's, there's only, I think two women's facilities in California versus, the 30 men's. So there's Chowchilla, which is uh, up in Fresno. And then there's CIW, which is um, a California Institute for Women. And that's in like LA-ish, I think, or Lancaster. It's, it's right next to CIM, right? California Institute for Men. Um, and so we did have a, a woman going into CIW for a while, but then she wasn't able to go in anymore. She got like a full-time job as a professor and she could, wasn't able to go inside. And so, we, you know, unfortunately those some of the programs have stopped. Like we have uh, actually multiple men, men's facilities too that had to stop after COVID too, because, uh, right. you know, it was just, it was tough to get back in, you know? Yeah. And I didn't bring that up, but it, it certainly swirls around as how disruptive that was where things were, there was this huge benefit taking hold and then had to put that on hold. So, but I want to make sure. So in the 120 centers prisons around the the country though there must be other women's detention centers that are where this is working it's got to be somewhere in the country oh yes for sure definitely definitely okay. and there's um and there's also you know, not just jail guitars have like kind of uh you know like partners organizations to like give a beat and stuff like that uh, um and then there's also like you know creative writing and poetry and stuff like that those those are women's facilities as well so uh, but you make a huge point that that women are often forgotten about. Um, I just had the opportunity to perform at Chowchilla Women's Prison uh, about two or three weeks ago, and this was, you know, we're what, what are we in? And it, this was October of 2023, and it was one of the first times the women had an opportunity to be together oh. since COVID oh. started. So it's been almost three years since some of these women had been able to see each other. And you don't hear about that, you know, and Chowchilla is also one of these the places that has been under scrutiny because there's been so much uh, sexual abuse of the, of the female um, residents there by the staff, by the correctional staff. So there's just so much that happens behind the walls that people, don't, you know, that they don't, they don't want to know about, they forget about. 
And then particularly in women's facilities, you know, they, they seem to be worse off than some of the men's facilities, like many of them. Well, we can count on that going into the journal about how, but that, actually, that might be a very um, a dicey area to put down in the journal because it would implicate staff, but that's that's a whole other topic. We'll bring that in on a different program <laughs> at a later date. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, And so, please get to the, how this shuffles the deck in relationships. We talked a little bit about between inmates, but also inmates and the the staff in the prisons. So what, what do you, the, the the relationship? How that changes with this musical intervention? Yeah, I mean, um, it, only one time we've had a correctional officer actually sit in on a class with us on a, the level three yard, and he like it was it was it was really powerful actually, because he's like, oh, I get it, I understand what's happening here now, like because he saw like and the songs were good. And the lyrics were amazing, and the song, you know, it was just like, and, and the the guys were singing, and like it's the the court, and people were harmonizing with each other. It was a beautiful song we wrote, and he find and like they got it. I wish more correctional officers would do that, but you know, the idea is is that once people, um, you know, they find common humanity in themselves in the classroom, they can hopefully it translates to the yard on their behavior with each other, which really just means you know uh, less things for the correctional officers to deal with, right? If there's, there's no riots happening, there's not, like, stabbings happening, people are getting along better, then it's going to make their job easier too, right? And so that's that's one of the things that, that I think is a benefit to the, the COs as well. But there's just, you know, I mean, there's, there's a culture, of course, of, yeah. you know, people, uh, of, of, you know, just law enforcement in general, the, you know, the us versus them thing. And it's not just on the law enforcement side. Obviously, there's the uh, um, you know, people that are living there, you know, but it's really, it is a, it's a social you know, ecosystem. And it's like, if you have, you know, if you treat somebody like a human, most likely they're going to treat you like a human back. And so, so that's how it translates. So in our last question, we have just like less than a minute left here. So Gabe, so I'm not saying if you were King, I'm saying because of your background, if you were a guru to all, any of the policymakers in California, what do you want next to happen? Um, well, we need to have consistent mental health care in all of the facilities because that's what I've been seeing, especially where I'm at. About 12 to 13 clinicians have moved on in the past three or four months. The correctional staff turns over all the time, so there's never a rapport built with anybody. And anytime anyone wants to build anything that's going to actually help and impact the population inside, they have to start over again because people are just trying to move up the ranks, just like any other bureaucracy or institution, right? And then obviously, like, people need second chances. I mean, uh, we're seeing people's sentences get commuted and stuff like that, and we need to see more of that because, you know, right now we have a guy whose sentence was commuted. Uh, he's supposed to spend life in prison, and he's on campus with us at UCI. He's one of the best students and coolest dudes that I know, um, and he's doing fine. So there's just uh, we, need, we need more of that. So, and then for listeners, I'm just going to suggest they go to the jailguitardoors.org and you can see what kinds of uh, contributions you can make, and it's a way you can spread the word. You can see performances. And I thank you so much, Gabe. This has been so edifying and so inspiring. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Anytime. I'll come back whenever you want. Okay. My guest was Gabe Rosales, a professional musician, teacher, sober advocate, guest lecturer and a doctoral student in the Criminology Law and Society Department at UC Irvine. Well, that's my wrap. I didn't have a chance to play an interview, which I will broadcast later. I'll put it up in a pod, though, with Matt Heimovitz, 
who is a, a world-renowned cellist who's doing some very unorthodox kinds of projects all over the whole the, the domain he was at Cal Poly Pomona performing last week and it was such a treat to meet him and then get to interview him the next day talk with you next week thank you everyone for listening